This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. This time on a podcast of rare antiquities, one shall rise, the other shall fall. This is episode 29, and today we are taking a look at the Transformers. Now hold on, before you turn off your iPod and discuss, it is not the 2007 Crap Fest by Michael Bay, nor any of the other subsequent four Crap Fests by Michael Bay. This is the 1986 animated version of the cartoon Transformers, and I will be your host, Jeff. And I am your co-host, Harry. All right, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this here, episode 29. How's it going so far, man? No, it's going good. I haven't seen this one in a very long time, so quite interesting. Blast from the past. Yeah, it's definitely a blast from the past, for sure. You know, we usually reminisce a little bit. You know, the Transformers is a little bit larger than just one movie. So let me ask you, first of all, what's your, you know, your memory of this film? And, you know, what can you tell me about your relationship, if any, with the Transformers, whether it was the old cartoon or the toys or, or whatever? Yeah, with this film, not so much. I I don't have... I know I've seen it a long time ago, and it might have been in bits and pieces on TV or somehow. I, I have no idea, but I don't have a vivid memory of this movie, even though I remember that Optimus Prime had died. So that's mm. what I had remembered. But the show, on the other hand, big part of my childhood. Growing up, Saturday morning cartoons in the 80s, this was one of the staples. It was a must every weekend. Transformers, along with other cartoons like G.I. Joe or and stuff like that. But this was definitely one of them. And it was probably what I would guess is at least the males, most males, like boys who had grown up during this time. This is the one cartoon that I would venture a guess that they most gravitated to or attached themselves to on those Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. Did you have any of the toys? Was that a, was that a thing for your childhood? To be honest, I preferred G.I. Joes because mm-hmm. they kind of, I could stage epic battles between my Star Wars figures and G.I. Joe figures. <laughs> um, that's pretty nice. much that's pretty much what I would do. The Transformers didn't, they're just much bigger than those figures, so they didn't mm-hmm. kind of fit. I did want to get an Optimus Prime or Megatron. Like I wanted to get the gun, transformed in the gun. And, mm-hmm. and I should have started with Optimus Prime because the minute my dad, we walked into a toy store and he saw that this thing was a gun, he slapped me across the face and (laughs) kicked my ass into a car and says, you're grounded. That's pretty much it. Okay. That's where my Transformer toy movie starts and stops. (laughs) (laughs) Big gun guy than your dad then, I suppose, huh? Yeah. He said, you watch too much violent stuff instead of, you know, worrying about Rambo because he enjoyed watching that. It was Transformers' fault. Everything was Transformers. (laughs) It was the fake sci-fi cartoon guns that are the problem, not the real guy. Essentially, he just uh, probably couldn't understand it. What the fuck are these things transforming into guns? <laughs> that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, just couldn't wrap his head around it. It's a little different, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, for my memories, I mean, I completely agree. I think every guy who grew up through the 80s must have had something to do with the Transformers. I mean, it was one of those cartoons from our childhood that, like you say, was a must-see. You know, you, you couldn't miss the Transformers The film, for me, I mean, I did see it in the theater when it came out, and it was not all that easy to track down after the theatrical release until the uh, the DVDs came out. But, I mean, I remember 
I mean, like you say, you you know, all all you really remembered was that Optimus Prime died, and I mean, I remember, I always remember the movie fairly well, but for sure, that moment was not to be a drama queen. It was traumatic for me as a, as a seven year old watching this film. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, Optimus Prime was one of my heroes as a kid, so this film was just etched into my DNA from a very early age. I had so many of these goddamn toys. I mean, <laughs> holy shit, did we have... I'm not going to say we had every Transformer because that would have been impossible, but if I was getting a toy for my birthday, Christmas, saving up with my allowance, chances are, if it wasn't a Star Wars toy, it was a Transformer. So which one was your favorite? Was it Optimus Prime? Yeah, my favorite one was Optimus Prime. And I, don't, I mean, I don't know why... This is the toy I'm talking about. Yeah, the toy. Yeah, the toy was, he was my favorite. We did have a Megatron. The gun was pretty cool. We had Bumblebee and Ironhide and those guys. I mean, they were all pretty cool. Grimlock, the Dinobot, was probably my, like, a close second favorite for me. I had him. Grimlock is awesome. Yeah, Grimlock rules. Yes. The toy was cool because they kind of had, like, a reflective gold accents to them it doesn't really come across in the show there but the gold accents were all you know like the metallic reflective bits so it was, it was a pretty cool toy and did they talk prime. i can't recall since i never owned one any of these talk or had made sounds and stuff like that or they just were foldable no the original ones didn't have any any voice chips or anything like that as far as i know some of the later ones i think they they started to build that stuff in but the early ones they didn't they did a version i don't know if they added voices or not they did a version after sort of in the later years of the original cartoon and i can't remember what they were called but like there would be like a second version of optimus prime and there'd be it was almost like a power cell that you could like plug into him but the power cell would transform into a small robot as well i don't really remember what the what the deal was there they might have added voices at that point the original ones they didn't no you know we did the same thing like you said you staged like the epic battles with the gi joe figures and the star wars guys and we did the same thing with the transformers figures and we had so many of them we'd set up these huge like dioramas these epic battlefields and what we would do in order to simulate like the laser blasts we'd find these old like christmas ribbons that were reflective and like tape them to the laser guns and like stretch them out across the battlefield oh. to their targets it was pretty awesome if we'd had cell phone cameras back then we we'd have some pretty sweet memories from then but unfortunately it's all in my mind now so we say you know i created this epic stage of a battle it was probably like you know a foot by foot thing and it's like you know <laughs> yeah. you probably your memory is a little more fond than it. the truth is like, you look back at it now and it's like yeah it probably was nothing <laughs> yeah yeah probably like like three shitty toys on like a seven-year-old's messy floor but like cookie crumbs and shit on the carpet serving as debris you're you're, you're probably right but... <laughs> <laughs> those are the best, though. Those are the best. Oh, Ch- man. Those... Child's imagination. Yeah, child's imagination doesn't get any more epic than that. There's no question. You know, that's, that's my memories. Of, well, how of about the, the show? Do you want to do you want to touch on the old show? Like, what memories do you have of that show, except for just, oh, it was on Saturday mornings? So a couple things I remember. I mean, the theme song was always so catchy and stick, you know, stuck in my mind for decades. I loved how cool it was that in the very first episode, you see them all on Cybertron. And when they transformed, they were like these futuristic ships and cars and stuff. And then when they came to Earth, you know, they scanned the local stuff and turned into different machines. And I always thought that was cool. And I love that image, you know, they had of the crashed Autobot ship in the desert. And that was like their home base. Right. But they always had that image of it sort of sticking up out of the rocks there. And 
that's just one of the images that's that's always stuck in my mind. Energon cubes is another aspect of the show that always kind of stuck with me. I don't, it just always felt like a very, although it was obviously made for kids, always a, it was sort of a mature type of show. The concept of the Decepticons, where they were always backstabbing sons of bitches, it was still a layer you didn't see. They weren't just generic bad guys. They were treacherous and deceitful. They actually were evil as opposed to like G.I. Joe. They were just bent on world domination. But, they, you know, like you really saw the well, evil you got of Starscream so, in both Cobra Commander yeah. and Starscream. Same yeah, guy. Of, uh, in fact, lots of voice of uh, voice overlap between those two shows. My two favorite villains voiced by the same guy. Epic voice. When you've got a voice like that, you're playing a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it was such a good show. At least I remember it as such. I mean, I haven't really revisited the TV show in quite a while. Obviously, a vehicle to sell toys. I don't think there's any question of that. But I think they did a lot with what they had. They could have just put a bunch of robots on the screen that transformed into cars and jets and shit, and they would have sold a million toys. But I thought they put a little bit more into the show than felt like they gave a shit. I think that's kind of why it still resonates how long did that show last for? The original iteration of Transformers, I believe, lasted for four seasons. But, you know, like cartoon, I had like 50 episodes a season. So lots of episodes of Transformers. But yeah, about four years and came back in several other iterations over the years. I think there were five or six versions of Transformers in, in different forms, and the, including Beast Wars, where there's where they're inexplicably apes and gorillas and shit. So <laughs> that <laughs> was a weird so, one. Sounds terrible. Well, you know what? It, it was one of the first fully computer animated TV show cartoons. They did some interesting stuff, but, you know, it's, it didn't really age well because the early CG just looks terrible. Mm. And Optimus Prime was a gorilla. Just <laughs> Optimus, he was called Optimus Primal. It was just bizarre. I remember the internet with the movie, you know, flames on Optimus and all that stuff. People were complaining about, you know, just like nips on Batman. It's like when I hear Gorilla Optimus, I think Optimus slips on a banana peel. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can make <laughs> He may have slipped on a banana peel, had nipples and hair. In fact, that's <laughs> totally possible that all those things happened. You know, those are my memories of the cartoon. Like you say, it was must see TV. Yes. Your week was Transformers was the center, and then everything else was planned around that. That was how important it was. It was close to the top, for sure, if not the top, on Saturday morning. Yeah. I've got lots of trivia, but I'll kind of pepper it in. As we go, any other thoughts before we dive into Transformers? Again, love the cartoon. You know, a couple of standout episodes for me was always, you know, the introduction of the Dinobots, <laughs> which I believe were conveniently buried right beside the ship where they crashed. Yeah, <laughs> so, I believe that's true. That's pretty yeah. pathetic. I remember loving Grimlock. And then I remember, you know, always Optimus Prime, Megatron, Starscream, Soundwave, Bumblebee, all those guys. You know, and then I, what was it called? Oh, yeah, there was um one episode which I always remember that I liked when I was a child was they found this old good guy, Autobot or something like that, or he was yeah. a bad guy in the ice. And yeah, then, or the yeah. Decepticons found him first, and then he turned on the Decepticons in the end, but he sacrificed his life yeah, to save the yeah. Autobots. And yeah. I remember that affected me deeply when I was a kid, you know. Yeah, that yeah. was a good, I remember that. That was a good episode, yeah. And that's yeah. when you talk about mature themes, like, you know, when I think in the end he gets frozen back where he came from, you technically mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. dead or he's gone. So for a kid, yeah. seeing that on a Saturday morning, I mean, that's pretty epic. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't wasn't just 
robot battles. I mean, it felt like they did so much more, more than meets the eye, I guess, if you if you wanted to say. Did you have a favorite? Starscream's always number one. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> such a fucking asshole, isn't I, he? I like, love it. Well, Megatron's an asshole, too. Yeah, so no, they like... both are, but I love I loved the dynamic that they created between the two so great yeah oh, great. man yeah optimus you know this classic optimus i hate the optimus prime from the bay movies not a fan of any of that stuff but i love optimus prime here he's he's number one and then starscream and megatron <laughs> just love them <laughs> their comedy duo there they could take that on tour it's fucking great oh yeah for sure awesome. and maybe we could talk a little bit about the michael bay version a little bit later just because <laughs> you know we need something to take shit on <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's roll out into this one here so Transformers the movie. In the far-flung future of 2005, 20 years after the introduction of the robot civil war on Earth, the evil Decepticons have conquered the Transformers' home planet of Cybertron. The leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime, sends a squad to Earth to replenish their supply of Energon so they can stage a full-scale assault on the Decepticons. Megatron and the Decepticons catch wind of the plan and intercept the Autobot transport and attempt to infiltrate the Autobot base on Earth. As the Decepticons arrive, Autobots Hot Rod, Cup, and their squishy human pal Daniel, along with their allies, fortify Autobot City against a full-scale siege. But the waves of evil robots keeps on coming. The battle appears lost until the arrival of Optimus Prime and reinforcements from Cybertron. Armed with only a laser rifle and some bitchin' 80s power cords, Prime single-handedly obliterates the Decepticon army and faces off against Megatron for the epic final battle, and all of this before the end of the first act. Just as Prime is about to finish this once and for all, plucky young newcomer Hot Rod interferes in the battle, and Megatron uses the distraction to deliver a killing blow to Optimus Prime. But before he gasps his last breath, Prime also strikes a terminal blow to his foe. The Decepticons retreat, but it's not exactly a victory for the Autobots. The charred metal corpses of their comrades litter the battlefield. Autobot City is in ruins, and Optimus Prime lies dying in the oil chain shop. They're going to need one heck of a mechanic. But before his engine shuts off forever, he passes on the Autobot Matrix of Leadership to his successor, Ultra Magnus, with the promise that one day it will light the Autobots' darkest hour. And with those final breaths, the screams of millions of grade school boys cry out and are suddenly silenced. Aboard the Decepticon's escape shuttle, the battered remains of Megatron and his fallen comrades are tossed out of the airlock by the treacherous Starscream and the mostly intact survivors of the battle. But instead of a cold death in the vacuum of space... A giant, planet-eating, bigger planet that's also a robot offers Megatron a deal. He will give Megatron a new body and a new army, and in exchange, Megatron must seek out and destroy the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. Megatron is transformed into Galvatron, and his new army sets sail for Cybertron just in time to reach the coronation ceremony of the new Decepticon leader, Starscream. His reign is short-lived, however, as Galvatron makes all dreams come true by vaporizing Starscream and takes command of the Decepticon forces once again. Man, I always hated that asshole. On the two moons of Cybertron at the Autobot bases, the remaining forces attempt to evacuate as Unicron has come by for a little midnight snack. He devours Moonbase 1 and has Moonbase 2 in his sights. The survivors successfully detonate Moonbase 2 just as it crosses into the huge maw of Unicron, but the explosion doesn't even scratch the paint, and the remaining survivors are devoured by the huge creature. Uh, back on Earth, the Autobots are mobilizing an attack on Unicron before it can destroy all of Cybertron, but the Decepticons arrive just as the Autobots are escaping, and the two Autobot shuttles are separated as they attempt to flee. Hot Rod, Cup, and the Dinobots crash on a strange alien world, 
Well, a shuttle carrying Ultra Magnus, Little Daniel, and the girl Transformer, you can tell because she's pink, crashes on a planet composed of old junk. They've lost Galvatron for now, but it's only a matter of time. While Hot Rod searches for his friends on the planet of weird robot piranha, Ultra Magnus and his friends salvage junk from the planet of, uh, junk to repair their shuttle and continue the journey to Cybertron. Hot Rod and Cup encounter the robotic Sharticons who take them to their leaders, the Quintessens, who preside over a court that tosses defendants into a pool of Sharticons, innocent and guilty alike. Back on the junk planet, the Decepticons have tracked down the Autobots, and after Ultra Magnus fails in harnessing the power of the Matrix, Galvatron blasts him to pieces and steals the Matrix for himself. Hot Rod and Cup escape the Sharktacons and set out to find the rest of their friends. The other Autobots, still reeling from the destruction of Ultra Magnus, now have to contend with a bunch of jingle-spewing motorcycle junk bots who aren't too pleased that the Autobots have been using their planet for spare parts. Thankfully, Hot Rod and Cup arrive to tame the battle, and now, everybody's good friends. The Junkicons then apply some armor all and a socket wrench to the remains of Ultra Magnus, and he's good as new. Too bad these guys weren't back on Earth when Optimus bit the dust. Back on Cybertron, Galvatron confronts Unicron as he now possesses the Autobot Matrix of leadership. Unimpressed with Galvatron's resistance, he declares he will now destroy Cybertron as well. Unicron then transforms into his gargantuan robot form and devours Galvatron and the Decepticons. The Autobots arrive to make their last stand, but fare no better than the Decepticons as Hot Rod's shuttle crashes into Unicron's face and they are all swallowed deep into the caverns of Unicron's body. The remaining Transformers valiantly battle Unicron on the surface of Cybertron, but the battle does not go well. Inside the depths of Unicron, Hot Rod sees the light of the Matrix, but Galvatron still has possession of it. Seeking redemption for that one time where he totally got Optimus Prime killed, Hot Rod engages Galvatron for the fate of the universe. Hot Rod holds his own for a bit, but Galvatron gains the upper hand and vows to crush him the same as he crushed Optimus Prime. But Hot Rod reaches for the Autobot Matrix, which responds to him in a way that it never did for Ultra Magnus, and Galvatron is blasted back. Hot Rod hears the voice of Optimus Prime, and he is transformed into Rodimus Prime, the new Autobot leader, and with the help of some sick 80s rock organ tunes, he disposes of Galvatron and opens the Matrix, which destroys Unicron and ends the Cybertronian Wars, and the Autobots are unified under new leadership and a new product line. The end. All right. So initial thoughts on synopsis and the, the general plot. What do you think? This Matrix, do you have any idea what you're saying? You're not, in fact, favor of these experiments. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, actually, it sounds pretty good. A lot of curious things with respect to the main players from the cartoon in an obvious ploy to sell more toys, mm -hmm. which we could talk about. I find some of this disturbing, but the story for a... Kids' cartoon sounds pretty straightforward, even though I feel that the end result's a bit more complicated, and not complicated, but more confusing. What you say on paper makes complete sense, and mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward, short enough to, actually enough to keep the kids entertained. Yeah, not bad. It sounds pretty good for your synopsis. Yeah, so just listening to that and knowing the phenomenon of the Transformers, how would you guess this movie fared when it originally came out in 1986? I would guess that this movie tanked. Hmm. That would yeah. be my guess. And it would probably be, if the internet was around then, the gentlemen or the people who made this movie probably would have been burned at the stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it would have tanked? I don't know. I just think the blowback from killing a lot of the major players. Yeah. 
I don't know that I exactly would say that it tanked, but it was not a box office success. It had a budget of about $6 million, and the domestic box office at the time was only around 5.8. So did not break even at the domestic box office at the time, for sure. So yeah, you could certainly consider it a cinematic failure. I'm assuming that this was completely released after the show was done, correct? Oh, no. In fact, it was not. Uh, this took place between seasons three and four of the show. So in season four, there's no Optimus Prime? In season four, we pick up where this leaves off in the future, right? Like originally it took place in modern times in the 80s and the time jump of 20 years into the 2000s. Yeah, it uh, jumped forward and that's correct. It continued without Optimus Prime and many of the Autobots that were summarily executed in the, like, the first scenes of the mm -hmm. film. So that's right. Optimus Prime eventually did return, but yeah, it, it definitely took a more sci-fi slant in the last couple of seasons after the movie came out. Hmm. Well, yeah, when you get rid of, you know, your star players and the people that, you know, you fell in love with, Han Solo, <clears throat> Luke Skywalker, <laughs> or soon to be Luke Skywalker, I would assume. You're in risky territory here yeah. with the fan base. So it's ballsy. I mean, that's the one thing I will describe, I will say about this movie before we get into the details, ballsy. Yeah, I agree. I think it was very ballsy. And one thing I'll bring up now, and we can kind of talk about as we go. So I have the 20th anniversary DVD, and you know, it's a, actually a very robust special edition, that, and it's been reprinted for the 30th anniversary in Blu-ray. But I listened to the commentary on the film, and I don't do that a lot with movies because so often they're really dull and boring. So the commentary was with the director, Nelson Shin, the story consultant, Flint Dilly, and <laughs> the voice of RC, the girl transformer, Sue Blue. Wow, these are epic, now, porn names. And great contribute. Now, the commentary is carried on the back entirely by Flint Dilly, and he worked, I mean, he worked on the cartoon before and after, wrote a lot of episodes, and basically he said that their mandate was to kill off the 84 product line and most of them had been discontinued not all of them like the dinobots for example continued so their mandate was to kill off everybody else introduce the new characters give the old characters their payoff where possible and also to show all of the characters both in their robot form and their whatever vehicle form would have been and that was basically it everything else they could do whatever they want so what he said was that like they were just said, like they were just told, like they had to kill Optimus Prime. They didn't realize that they were obliterating all of these beloved characters. It just didn't really enter into their minds. And that's not to say they didn't care, because he said that one thing about Transformers is everybody really did care about the show and the movie, and they really did want to create good stories. But that was kind of what they thought they were doing. They didn't really realize the impact it was going to have. So I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit there. So anyway, just a, a little bit more trivia. So as I said, directed by a gentleman by the name of Nelson Shin, who was actually born in North Korea. Good for him for making it out to the free world. His <laughs> credits most notably include, he's the, the overseas production director for 160 episodes of The Simpsons between 2003 and today, 2017. Mm, so the junkie shit. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But certainly a long resume. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody woke him up after his flight from South Korea, where I assume he lives now, for the commentary track on the DVD. 
because I think he was asleep and jet lagged for the entire commentary. So poor bastard there, not a great example of his work, but certainly very prolific in the animation field. Written by Ron Friedman, lots of TV animation, writing credits, G.I. Joe and other cartoons, but had never written Transformers before or after. Like I said, the story consultant Flint, lots of animation writing credits, including Transformers. But that guy, uh, after his career in writing cartoons, sort of came to an end. He actually got into video game development and served as a developer and writer on many video games. So let's talk a little bit about the voice talent on the show or on the movie. The unmistakable Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime. Mm -hmm. He voiced Optimus Prime in four of the Transformers TV shows that were on the air, including the original, as well as the voice of Optimus Prime in uh, all five of the Michael Bay features. He continues as the voice of Optimus Prime even to this day. He has, I've used the term working actor before, this guy's a horse in the voice acting community, 174 credits to his name. Other notables, he was Eeyore in a bunch of Winnie the Pooh TV productions. He was on the Ghostbusters cartoon, not the real Ghostbusters cartoon based on the movies, but that weird otherworldly Ghostbusters cartoon. I don't know where the fuck it came from. G.I. Joe, he was a voice of one of the Mogwai and the Gremlins in Gremlins. I mean, basically, this guy voiced your entire childhood and you didn't know it. So very prolific. Leonard Nimoy is Galvatron. I don't think we need to say anything more about that. Leonard Nimoy, ladies and gentlemen. And Orson Welles as Unicron. I found this the most interesting. Yeah, I found this the most interesting as well. I mean, Orson motherfucking Welles. And this was his last role before he died. In fact, he passed away within weeks of finishing his lines. Yeah, he watched the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe so. Kill all these people? What the fuck? <laughs> Optimus, no, Optimus! <laughs> ah! Yeah. No, he never lived to see, even see the film. He he died before the film was released. And, you know, Orson Welles was sort of notoriously difficult to work with. Not realm of Marlon Brando difficult to work with, but maybe certainly in the realm of Marlon Brando and, and where his uh, body weight was towards the end. But according to the commentary, they all heard horror stories about Orson Welles, and they were all really scared of working with him. But when he stepped on to or into the studio to do his voice recordings, perfect gentleman, it was great to work with, and everybody uh, really liked working with him. And what a voice. I mean, they were going to doctor the voice a little bit, make it sound you know, more machine-like or robotic, which is what they did with a lot of the other voices. Mm-hmm. And then when they got the track, they just left it as is. That's just Orson Welles untreated so i thought that was pretty cool we've got robert stack as ultra magnus uh, you might remember robert stack as elliot ness or as the voice of unsolved mysteries that's where i remember robert stack from yep unsolved mysteries which by the way has one of the most creepiest theme music ever mm, i love the music from unsolved mysteries so oh, yeah. good oh yeah it's really good if that was on blu-ray i would probably buy the series well, I'll probably, you know, now that I think of it, I should have played that at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's an unsolved doubt about that. <laughs> the last interesting piece of voice talent there, the minor character of Blur, who's the really fast-talking one, was voiced by a fellow named John Mashita Jr., And that's actually his voice. He can actually talk like that. That was not sped up or doctored in any way. 
Really? Yeah, he can talk like that. He that. sounded like a really like you know anxious or about to just go crazy. Ned Flanders is like giddly, yeah. dibbly, diddly. It's like he just. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a mushroom cloud. Boom. Yeah. That actually got him a gig as a spokesman for a lot of FedEx commercials where he used that same talent. He also voiced Hollywood Squares, among other things. But pretty neat. If you, there's YouTube videos of some of those old commercials and he's just a freak. He can he can talk like that for real. So pretty wild for sure. Mm, cool. Let's get into the film here. So we open the shot of space with Unicron eating that planet. And then we kind of get the voiceover and we see Cybertron. So as I said, let's talk about opening scenes here. So as I said, this is 20, this is a 20 year time jump from when we left the Autobots and Decepticons who were kind of trapped on Earth, both sides trying to get enough energon in order to get back to Cybertron or the Decepticons stealing all of Earth's natural resources to get there and the Autobots protecting the humans. But 20 years later, it looks like the Decepticons won. So what are your initial thoughts with the look of the film, maybe some of the style of animation and art, and just how this opens with uh, Unicron eating a planet? Well, I mean, the animation fits the TV show to a T. I mean, it matches. It's the same, feels like the same artist, the same style or the same technology they were using to create the TV show. It didn't feel like it was a bigger jump and maybe I could be wrong. I've only seen clips of the old TV show over the years on YouTube. I've never actually sat down and watched episodes. Yeah, this Unicron planet, you know, I guess it's more scarier than Starkiller Base. I, I, I'm not <laughs> sure. But what was with all this? Um, so which planet was he devouring? And what's also I want to question is what, what's with all those robot kids and old robots? I think it's an old robot with an old mustache. And do Transformers, do they mature? Like, I don't understand the development concept here. I'm not sure if we're supposed to think about it or not. I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure kids aren't really supposed to think about it, but... It was a note that I had made. I mean, I don't know what planet this is. It's not Cybertron, not Earth. In every single example of alien life that we see, because we do see a few alien worlds, all of the alien life is robotic. The only organic life we see are the two human characters in this show, Spike and his son, Daniel. And everybody else, no matter the planet, is a robot. So, yeah, I'm not sure why that is i think it's really interesting i mean yeah there's no reason for them to age or have mustaches or little kids and stuff it's well i don't know well when you say that now skynet really should have just launched itself away from earth and just expanded in the cosmos (laughs) because looks like the autobots and decepticons had success Maybe Skynet is Unicron. Then it still sucks. Yeah, that's, that'd be too bad. Yeah. Just in regards to the animation, yeah, the art style is certainly consistent with the TV show. They did put more money and detail and, like, you know, frames in with this. Like I say in the commentary, they did talk about the TV show and how they would, when they watched the, the show, when they premiered the, the episodes of the show on the lot, and they got a big movie screen out and they projected it. It was not like a movie. It was like a Saturday morning cartoon, whereas the movie, they did do a bit more. Because it's so consistent, I don't think that it stands out that they put a lot more into the show, or sorry, into the movie than they did with the show. But it is odd that all the life is is robots, and that could be a violence consideration. That was the only thing I could think of. If you'd had organic life there, basically people getting murdered, then that might have been a more difficult sell 
when you're trying to obtain a PG rating. But that's just a theory on No, on no, my... well, it makes sense. You know, just like Phantom Menace. I mean, that's why all those battle droids were there. You know, Jedi could slice right. them to bits, right? Without having to worry about anything. Yeah, you can decapitate 10 robots and you can still get a G rating. You know, as soon as there's like one, if there's a hint of violence against a person, forget about it. So I did also make a note that, you know, I had a very similar vibe when Unicron was in this planet. You see the destruction, the planet crumbling and people floating away or falling. It kind of reminded me of Superman the movie. That mm. It seemed like, you know, like the beginning with Krypton. Like, it just seemed like it was mm-hmm. an influence. And we even get a crawl, like the opening credits after this fact with the Transformers logo. And then it, mm-hmm. you have all the actors and everything like that. And that also felt like a mix oh, of yeah. like a little bit of a homage to Superman the movie, the way the credits were rolling by. Yeah, yeah, because of how the, like, they kind of have that sort of light trail after... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's true. I didn't even, I didn't think of that, but I'd say for sure that very likely an influence there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, guys who are working on a sci-fi cartoon, you know, they've seen Superman. That's part of their DNA. For me, in the opening scenes here, I love the detail on Unicron, the planet. I mean, where as he sort of devours it, all of his lights flare up and you can tell he's got all the energy coursing through him as he eats this planet. I thought that was a neat detail. And the level of detail I really I really thought was great on Unicron. The opening scene was somewhat controversial because of the level of violence here where he's eating the whole planet. It's a very mature way of opening a film. It sort of has a maybe not dissimilar to aspects of Star Trek The Motion Picture as well, where you kind of have this ominous force that's destroying everything in its path. So, you know, emblematic of the time, perhaps. Unicron uh, should have been invoked by Shatner. Yeah, well, if it had been anybody other than Orson Welles, I'd be like, yeah, that'd be fucking sweet, but... The one with the horse, uh, Galvatron. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we get the remixed theme song and the uh, sort of the opening narration where we, we find ourselves 20 years in the future. We're back on Cybertron a little bit, and this is kind of where the action starts. So we see the Autobots wanting to stage an attack on the Decepticons. The Decepticons have their spies there, so they uh, they can kind of intercept the Autobot plans, and they chase them down. So let's let's just talk about up to the scene where the Decepticons intercept the Autobot transport to Earth, and they basically execute all of the characters that we know from the cartoon. So again, I know it's probably you know it's been a while. If you, I don't know if you remembered a lot of those characters, but how did you find the scene there where they blew open the Autobot ship and killed all of the good guys? Well, as I said, I'm. this was, you know, to me, ballsy. I didn't remember most of the names, but I remember the medic Autobot, the white with the health uh, medic symbol on on his arm or something. And I said, he looked familiar. I'm pretty sure he was on one the, on the old show and they killed him right away. And it's like, so I said, that's, this is ballsy. As an adult, I go, okay, interesting. Especially since I now have a bit of a detachment from Transformers because it's been so long since I've seen the show. But man, for a kid, and this is like right in, as you said, between seasons three and four, this is released. You got kids probably bawling their eyes out in the theater watching this. I'm surprised that they would have done this. It's one thing to introduce a new product line, but another thing to say we're going to wipe out every single character that you loved. Just so you have no choice. Love these new ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this is to open the movie. This is to open the movie. It's not even what's coming. But the opening scenes with the Decepticons, 
course, Megatron and Starscream. Right away, the first scene you see with them, Megatron insults Starscream immediately. I loved that big smile on my face. I'm going, yeah, that's it, Megatron and Starscream. You know, awesome. Old yeah, couple. I, I love it. I love that. It, where Starscream kind of digs in. He's like, oh, oh, mighty Megatron. And Megatron's like, you're such an idiot, Starscream. Yes. It's so good. Oh, but that's right before Megatron, like, steps on Ironhide. Like, he steps on him and then... Blows him away. Blows him away. I mean, that was some dark shit. And I'm sure I did not know what the fuck was going on as a kid. Like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, also, I would assume that, you know, kids would, if they watch this, maybe they would say, okay, well, maybe he's just injured and he'll come back later. But when you find that after Optimus Prime dies, and at the end of the movie, you don't see these characters mm-hmm. you mentioned, Ironhide, they don't come back. I mean, you know, kids leaving the theater just shaking his head. He's either mm-hmm. super happy with the new guys or he hates this movie. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we could talk about it when we get there, but I mean, I kind of remember this part as a kid, my memory, if my memory is accurate, it probably isn't, but I think I remember just being really confused. Like you always expect when you're a kid in the eighties and you watch stuff for kids, you just expect your, the good guys to be kind of winning all the time, Mm -hmm. right? It's like Donald Trump's version of America. Like we're just winning. And then when you're presented with a reality where that isn't the case, it is very jarring. So so this turned now, into Charlie Sheen's America for you. Yeah, it turned into Charlie Sheen's America. <laughs> sure. He should have been the voice of maybe Hot Rod. Well, that would have been sweet. So we get to Earth. Hot Rod is our new hero fishing with Daniel. So Daniel was not on the original TV show. He's the son of Spike, who was the kid in the TV show. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah, because I said, I remember there was a kid, and so were these the original characters, and it was Hot Rod on the TV show as well. Yeah, I, I don't think Hot Rod was on the TV show. I'd have to go and check that, but I think he was not. He may have been a, a late addition, but yeah, but Daniel was a, a new addition here, and Spike was a kid originally, where he's the adult here now. So, so they're fishing, and, you know, having some, there's a little bit of levity here before they, they get up to the mountain and Hot Rod spots the Decepticons and the Autobot shuttle infiltrating. Battle ensues. Autobot City transforms. So let's just talk about the battle here that ensues and the siege of Autobot City. So some of my thoughts here, I really liked, again, a lot of the detail in the animation Particularly when Hot Rod is kind of zooming in on the shuttle, you know, you see some details in his magnified vision there that I thought was pretty cool. And I loved all the detail of the transforming city, the, you know, the gears and the pistons and everything that they animated. I mean, it's all hand drawn, right? So I just was really impressed with that. You know, it felt like a lot of tension because it felt like the Decepticons definitely had the upper hand here. Starscream screaming in his high pitched voice. I mean, it just felt. It was like the show because we had these characters that we knew, but because the Decepticons had the upper hand, it was all kind of turned on his head. So what were your thoughts on this battle here? Uh, I love the battle. I mean, this could be one of my favorite sequences, if not my favorite in the movie. It actually went on, I made a note of this, it went on for quite a while, like 10 minutes Probably mm-hmm. there was a, a long battle. And I know it's a kid's cartoon and they're expecting that. Uh, there's still ADD issues even back in the 80s. But I'm surprised that the battle carried on for this long. And probably because the story, there's no other meat. And that's something I'd like to talk about. It's just like, you know, sequence after sequence of action almost. Mm-hmm. 
But this particular battle, I loved. A couple of notes I wrote down here is like, what's with that microscope Autobot? Like, <laughs> it's like, that's his power. I can transform, uh, transform into a microscope. I'm saying you're very useful. And the Boonbox Autobot, was he part of the show? Transmitting, yep. you know, so the funny thing is, he transforms into a Boonbox so he can, I guess, emit sound, which will go to a microphone to a satellite dish. Why did he not yeah. just talk into the microphone? <laughs> I mean, again, another useless... You know, if they're trying to come up with this new line of uh, Transformers here, I'd be not impressed with any of these guys. I mean, I got a microscope here. I got a shitty boombox there. And not just one. I actually had this... I think it was Blaster is the boombox. I actually had him. And the Decepticon version, which is exactly the same, only painted purple, right? Which sound is Soundwave. Wave. Yeah, yeah. But Soundwave was awesome. Well, his voice, because his voice was so cool as yeah. well, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the Autobot version, he was lame, although I, I mean, I had him, but I, I don't know, whatever, right? The microscope, I had him too, but he was a functional microscope when you trans the toy. Are you serious? A, yeah, he was a functional microscope, which was pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty sweet. I mean, I wasn't studying a whole lot of like viruses and, you know, bacteria and stuff as a kid, but if I had wanted to, I could have. I could have put my Oreo cookie under the microscope there and, and studied it as uh, a kid. Amongst other things. Uh, you know, uh, my grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. And the one thing I did say is the minute the Dinobots appeared, I like sat up straight and I'm going, oh, sweet. And then <laughs> yeah. it's like Grimlock. Hey, Grimlock. It's like, yes, <laughs> Grimlock. But then they get wiped out so easily by that big Decepticon, and then they don't do anything else. I was disappointed. I was really disappointed. I wanted them to be a bit more involved here. And then obviously Optimus Prime and Megatron, sweet fucking fight. That was awesome. Except for the cheesy 80s Sylvester Stallone music. I love that song. Uh, when but when Optimus is, lands and is, like the, yeah. the, the organ starts and he like starts transforming, uh, that was awesome. It was Love awesome, it. but it carried on for too long. Like the vocals, like they could have started it and then just kept with instrumentals, but they carried the vocals, kept repeating and repeating. And I think it's the same song for the whole goddamn movie. It's not, but they're, I mean, let's face the 80s, right? It's, it is pretty generic. It isn't the same song, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, it's not the Beatles, right? I mean, it's no. 80s hairband metal. I mean, and then that's all it is. But I do love how we could talk about the soundtrack. I loved how they pumped the start of the song in as Optimus Prime is like, I'm going to go and finish this. That was awesome. It's like, he must be stopped. And it's like, yeah. at all costs. And then he just rolls out on his own. Yeah. That, that was awesome. I mean, Optimus Prime, he's fucking awesome. He is pretty fucking awesome. And... I mean, they found such a good voice actor for it. I mean, that guy's voice is so good. Like that deep voice. You really believe that leader. He has that leadership just tone to it. I mean, you know, he blows away almost all of the Decepticons like in one backflip, which was maybe a little bit too easy. But yeah, the battle was epic. They just destroy each other. I I love the detail when Megatron sort of throws the shrapnel into his side there and they've you know, he's all cut up. And then Megatron, like, and after that, he focuses on that spot when he's blasting away there. I thought that was really good detail for that. So, you know, they basically obliterate each other. You know, they're all cracked up. Optimus Prime gives Megatron the Captain Kirk two-hander to the face, falls down, the Decepticons retreat. And then I guess we get the death scene here, the passing of the the Matrix. So what did you think of the final scene where Optimus Prime, he's on the table, they've got the vitals on the thing there. Just give me your overall thoughts here. Like, 
how do you think the kids at the time are, are watching this? And how are, you know, as an adult, how are you seeing this? Is this effective to you emotionally at this point? Or is it just, I don't know, too much? It's not too much. I kind of wish it was a bit more. Like, it's effective and it's sad. Not that I got the feels, because, you know, when I remembered he died, again, I'm a bit more detached and mature now. If I was watched this when I was a kid, if I did watch it, maybe that's why I, got, I, I don't remember it. I just blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> it could be. I have no idea. Yeah. I can assume that fans of the show, you know, between the ages of, you know, 6 and 12 or 13 or 14, that prime age, this would just destroy their... They would be men after this movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to work in a coal mine after, yeah. <laughs> after seeing this. Yeah. Your heart is dead. Childhood right. is over. It's over. Done. Finished. So, yeah, this is right up there for... You're talking about heroic deaths. I mean, not my favorite heroic death on film, but... I think it could have been... I love the battle. I love how he gets mortally wounded in the battle. I just didn't like the drawn-out thing on the table. It's cliche. And I know he has to pass this Matrix thing. Did they talk about this Matrix thing on the show, or they just invented this for this movie? I believe this is a construct that started with this movie. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Well, a total MacGuffin, for sure. Yeah, I kind of wish he, like, he would have just died on the battlefield, and then, you know, he could have just said a few things and just died. I think that would have been a bit more dramatic, but mm. they wanted this plot device. I think he could have opened his chest, could have still opened up and done it on the battlefield and just a little quicker. I thought I felt it was a bit drawn out on the table, personally. Yeah, I think I agree it was a bit drawn out, and maybe needlessly so, just from a... Exposition. Yeah, exposition. And, you know, as a kid, I mean, I was so destroyed as a kid watching this. And I think I probably wanted to leave the movie theater. I don't know if there were tears, but it would have been close. No question. And this is just almost too much for that. But that's what happened when I Captain said, Kirk died. I like, I like tore the movie screen up with a knife. <laughs> and then I turned around and threatened everybody in the theaters. <laughs> if only you could have passed the Starfleet Matrix of Leadership to Captain Picard in that moment. Yes. As opposed to dying under a fucking bridge. Anyway, <laughs> what a bunch of assholes. <laughs> For everybody ruining our childhood. It was them. Ah, oh, fuck. Actually, let's do a little quick segue. Just yeah, quickly. Okay. What do you think is the best heroic death in movies that you've seen? Like Your ever? favorite. Yeah. I'll give you best mine. Heroic. I'll give you mine. Obi-Wan Kenobi, original Star Wars. Yeah, hard Perfect. to argue. Hard to argue, yeah. Vader, I guess, saving Luke is a close second, but those are my favorite. Yeah, no, I, I mean, Obi-Wan's more epic, I think. I really love the death of Arnold in Terminator 2. As he gives a thumbs up? <laughs> well, partially as he gives the thumbs up, but before that, when he's on the platform and... Sarah Connor says to like she's like after they kill the T one thousand she's like breathes a sigh of relief she's like it's over and you can see the look in his eye because he kind of like he's looking down and she says that and he kind of looks up and he's like he's like no there's one more chip and it has to be destroyed also and he realizes at that moment that he has to go and he has to say goodbye to John and he doesn't understand right because he's a kid but he under the Terminator understands. And he has to say goodbye, and he's like, he's like, I'm not human. Like, I understand why you're human, and that's why I have to go. And he says goodbye to her. He shakes her hand, 
and goes down, I mean, so, so maybe, powerful. Yeah, so maybe Optimus Prime needed to give a thumbs up to you and all the kids. No, he <laughs> yes, needed to say, yeah. I know now why you cry. I know now you cry. I know now why you cry. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I can never do. Get to the chopper. <laughs> yeah, that's what Optimus Prime should have done. Or Arnie should have been, you know, consoling every kid as they left the theater. Now, if Arnie was the voice of Optimus Prime. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> In more ways than one. I thought that would be pretty sweet, actually. We need to get somebody to do the Arnie impression, but like voice over all of Optimus Prime's lines so we could actually listen to what that would sound like. I'd buy the shit out of that bootleg DVD. You can YouTube Arnie doing uh, Darth Vader, all of Darth Vader scenes. Is that out there? It is on YouTube. Darth Schwarzenegger. It's epic. Go watch it. Oh, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> you know what would be even better? Is if he dubbed all of Hayden Christensen's lines <laughs> in the priest. <laughs> Actually, that, those movies would have worked. That would have worked great. <laughs> or Jar Jar. Well, I don't know. I... No, no, Jar Jar should have been voicing Hayden Christensen. To be the <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Okay, we're getting off track yeah, here. Okay. So, so Optimus Prime, as he's dying, he has got the Matrix of Leadership. He passes it to Ultra Magnus. Now... Again, I really love the animation where Optimus Prime, you know, opens his chest. I thought some of the nuance and the detail was cool where, like, he had to, like, he opened it a bit and then he had to, like, get his hands in and open it up. And then another panel, I thought it was really cool. But when he hands, I mean, so he drops it and we get that sort of burst of light as Hot Rod catches it in slow motion, which is our foreshadowing for later. Mm. But when Ultra Magnus tries to put the Matrix in and it doesn't quite fit the first time, and then he puts it in. I thought that was a really nice detail for the cartoon. I don't know if you noticed that. but No, uh, I noticed it. I didn't pick up on the foreshadowing when Hot Rod caught it at first and it lit up and then it went to Ultra Magnus. But good point. That's a good catch. But yeah, I like that detail that it just didn't fit right away. Yeah, it's a neat, I mean, you know, I respect when they do little things like that because they're making it for kids. Like, I mean, I was seven when I watched this. I don't know that I caught it when I was seven, but, you know, I like that they throw that in there because it still kind of makes it watchable uh, nowadays. But uh, anyway, so now we cut to the aftermath of the battle for the Decepticons on their escape shuttle Astro Train. So Starscream is awesome. The power struggle. I love the power. I just love how he starts kicking him. You know, like he's just trash. Like, oh, Megatron, let's get him out. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh, how it pains me to do this. He's like, (laughs) I still function. He's like, and he just throws him out. Yeah, I love that. I think that happened like on several different episodes. Each of them did that. Yeah, behind for dead or whatever it was. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so great. I I love they carry that relationship over. I mean, uh, absolutely hilarious. And then the ruins of the Decepticons are floating in space. And they're summoned by Unicron. I, I love this scene just because of the voice of Unicron summoning Megatron. And he's like, no one summons me. And he says, it pleases me to be the first. I, yeah, that I was loved... a great line. That was a yeah. great line. Yeah. But I just love that Megatron is just, you know, his pride and ego. It will not stop. It doesn't yeah. matter how much he gets owned by anybody. He will come back and do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love that bit of character development there. It, it doesn't matter what happens. He'll obey, but as soon as he thinks he can find the upper hand, he turns right back around. So on the one hand, no loyalty, but on the other hand, nobody summons Megatron. It, I thought that was great for sure. But this exchange I thought was fantastic. We get the transformation. Uh, so they make the deal. Unicron makes the deal where Megatron will go and destroy the Matrix of Leadership. He'll reform him and give him a new army. And this is where we get the transformation into Galvatron and enter stage right Leonard Nimoy. What did you think of Nimoy's work as the voice of Galvatron? 
here and the transformation of the of the Decepticons. Terrible. Hated Leonard Nimoy here, and I'm being honest. What? Yeah, hated it. Oh, Not, you're breaking my heart, dude. Are no, you serious? Hate it. How dare dare you replace the guy who's voicing Megatron? This is an insult. Do you even know his name? No, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they replace that guy who did that voice that time <laughs> with Leonard Nimoy, who's awesome. Leonard Nimoy can go fly a kite. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nimoy. I love Spock. But my God, why are they doing this? You want to sell a new toy line? Fine. You kind of revamped Megatron into Galvatron. Why didn't you get rid of the voice? And you're already tight on budget. You're gonna hire Nemoy. He's gonna cost you half a million dollars just uh or a million dollars just to come and voice this thing. Why are you spending your money? Why are you doing this? To be fair, I mean, 1986. I don't know that Nemoy would have didn't cost a lot of money. Well, regardless, I mean, they could afford... this is an insult. You just killed Optimus Prime. Now you got rid of him. Now I'm gonna get rid of Megatron. And two scenes later, I'm gonna get rid of Starscream. I'm pissed off. Okay, so now you're feeling what I felt when Optimus Prime died. Yeah, but, I mean, I cared when Optimus Prime died, but now I'm looking at it from the sake of, as a fan of the old show, you're getting rid of the best voice talent, and they do a better job than Nimoy. I'm sorry. Megatron, the guy who did Megatron's voice, he's better at it, and he's better at being bad than Leonard Nimoy, how good he can be at being bad, which is okay. It's not a terrible job. It's just not as good as the old Megatron. Sorry. That's just me. If I insult you, you know, your memories of Leonard Nimoy, God rest his soul, but if Leonard can hear me, go fly a kite. You sucked in this role. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're not insulting me. I mean, so Frank Welker was the voice That's of Megatron. Right. Yes. To be fair, I mean, he was a badass. According to IMDb, he has 790 credits to his name. He's a boss. Not selected Michael Bay to voice Megatron. Another travesty. How dare yeah. you? I believe he's supposed to be voicing Megatron in the next Michael Bay one, but uh, yeah, but not originally. Not just the voice of Megatron. He voiced many, many of the Transformers in the original show. I do believe he came back after this movie to voice Galvatron when the show came back. I'm not sure, so... I hear what you're saying for sure. I just, I just loved. It's just an insult. Even yeah. just forget the fans. Like you're talking about the actors who have been here. Why are you doing this? Well, no, but he's still there. I mean, they got rid of Peter Cullen as well. I mean, they, they got rid of everybody. Everybody's a new voice. Everybody's going to come back for the show eventually. But if you're later. doing that, so why, why bother? Just because it's a movie, I got to have a, uh, a movie star's yeah. name. Not Dr so much Drag a movie star's. Yeah, Trekkies no. were really paying attention to Transformers. No, I, I think that wasn't the reason. I, I think the reason would have been more... I think they wanted to establish these characters as new. Like, they killed Optimus Prime, even though Megatron, they reformed. I think they wanted to establish that it was a different character, even though it was, you know, an extension of Megatron. It was different. That's what I think they wanted to do here. I don't think it was necessarily designed as an... I mean, it wasn't designed as an insult to the guy. I mean, the, I think they wanted a voice that could stand up more to Orson Welles. Like, if you listen to Orson Welles, the earth shakes when Orson Welles is talking. He's got that low baritone. I think they wanted a voice that had a little bit more gravity to it. And it's not that Frank Welker wasn't talented or great. It was that... You got a horse and fucking wells there. You needed something a little bit more, just in the sound waves there to to stand. Uh, 
to be honest, I like Frank Welker's voice better than Leonard Nimoy's in this character. I think he brings a, a you know more experience to voice acting than Leonard does. Well, he's a more experienced voice actor. I mean, Leonard Nimoy didn't do a lot of voice acting. I mean, it wasn't his only gig as a voice actor, but... Uh, Anyways. Oh, Harry. Uh, no. All right, we're going to have to agree to disagree, which is so hard for us to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're terrible at that, you and I. Yes. Anyway. Starscream's uh, inauguration. Starscream's inauguration. And I love this little scene here where it's just this sort of, you know, clown court ceremony with the idiots blowing the trumpets and Starscream with a fucking cape. And the crown and stuff. This should have uh, been Trump's inauguration. It should have been. It, it should have been. been. It, it probably was behind the scenes. I'm sure he wore a cape and a crown on his way back to the White House. For sure he did. No doubt. <laughs> and there were trumpets. No doubt. I thought this was a funny scene. And just Galvatron's just not having any of it. It's like, you know, he says, like, this is bad comedy. And just fucking obliterates him. Boom. And I know it's a loss of Starscream at this point. I'm pissed. I lost Optimus Prime. I lost Megatron. Now I lose what could be my favorite character is Starscream. The guy <laughs> who, like, brings all the joy and humor to this show. Seriously? Why? I was begging as a kid for Starscream to get killed and to see this happen. I thought it was neat that he was killed by another Decepticon. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, no. But I understand what you're saying. It's the loss of another character. But really, the thing is here with the show, now I'm going to bring up a point. It's not just because, you know, we're biased and we love these characters. You don't have any of these interesting dynamics moving forward that work as well as the old characters in this movie. So now this movie suffers. Second half of this movie, in my opinion, suffers a great deal because you don't have these dynamics that are have been established in the show or were as strong even in the first movie. If we just jump forward way in the future and Optimus Prime, Megatron, Starscream, and all these other guys are long gone, and this is your all-new Transformers that are happening, and this is the story about them, that's fine. Good work. But now I've got, you know, it's just like what J.J. Abrams said. Oh, well, I put Luke Skywalker in Force Awakens. No one's going to care about anybody. So... Mm-hmm. So Optimus Prime's here. Now I don't care about anybody else. Sorry, no. did you just pay J.J. Abrams a uh, slight compliment there? No. J.J. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. No, that, and that's a fair point. I mean, you're right. Again, we're, that is one of the, the issues that you could take with the movies. They're basically stepping on everything that we've, you know, grown to love in the interest of basically selling different toys, right? Because I've already, mm-hmm. if I already own Starscream, I don't need him to be the star of the movie. I need, you know, whatever the other asshole's name is. I don't even remember. So that's a good point. I agree with you to the point where that is an issue. But where I do differ from you is that, like, we know they're selling toys. We know that they need to put out the new line. So they could do that in any number of ways. I respect that they did it like this, that they gave those characters some payoff. At least, yeah, I like the relationship between Megatron and Starscream. But at least that relationship got some closure. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because he shot him in the face. Anyway, as we kind of move on from that, we get... In my notes, it seems like we're at a Unicron comes yeah, by right. and eats up another planet? Or yeah, so Unicron... Or a ship or... And That's jazz, right. Jazz and Glyph Jumper and the dad, or Spike, or Bumblebee all get consumed? Unicron approaches Moon Base One, which is a moon of Cybertron. Yeah, that's right. So we get Jazz, we get Cliff Jumper, and they're communicating with Ultra Magnus and the crew that are kind of back on Earth. And that's where the crew back on Earth discovers that 
Unicron is a thing. And Moonbase 1 bites it. Unicron eats it. You know, Bumblebee and Spike manage to kind of escape. But Moonbase 2 then eventually be kind of, you know, becomes the uh, the next victim. They detonate Moonbase 2 in an attempt to destroy Unicron. Doesn't work. So they all get sucked in to Unicron. Yeah, and the kids still are thinking at this point, everybody's dead. Yeah, everybody's dead. A Bumblebee, yep. Spike. Shit, like it's dark at this point here, and we're—I mean, you know—we're into Act Two, and that's when a movie is kind of generally gets a, a little darker. It hits the downturn a little bit. Ultra Magnus and the Autobots back on Earth are mobilizing to—you know—they realize that Cybertron's in trouble, so they're putting together their squad to go fight. But it's uh, at this point here where Galvatron and the Decepticons come intercept them at uh, at Earth. So there's a little bit of a battle here. So let's talk a little bit about the scenes where the Decepticons intercept the Autobots. There's a bit of a space battle. You know, there's some of the humor with trying to get the Dinobots onto the ship and the Autobots get separated. What are your thoughts in in these scenes here? Well, I like the humor with the Dinobots. Like, anytime Grimlock is on screen, he steals the show. I just love Grimlock. Like, he's just hilarious. Even though he's a dumb hilarious. He's just a dummy. But it's awesome. I wrote down here, it's like there's just no break in the action since this movie has started. There has not been... The only downtime we got was the couple of long, overly long minutes drawing on Optimus Prime's death. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And ever since then, it's been action, 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 action. And I feel that they need a bit more of a breather, and we're not getting it. I just wrote that down. I found the space chase battle here, you know, left a lot to be desired. It wasn't anything special. But I did like the humor with the Dinobots. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it kind of goes from one action scene to another action scene to another action scene. It doesn't slow down at all to let us catch our breath. And I didn't really have too much of a problem with it. I think, you know, you've got a bunch of giant robots that shoot, you know, that have lasers and they've got a giant, you know, civil war going on. It's hard to slow down. We get a bit of a slowdown on the Autobot ship here where Cup is sort of telling some old war stories and we get a little bit more humor with Grimlock. He's like, no, tell me more war stories and stuff. But it's it's not enough, I think, to kind of get you to sit back, relax, engage with the characters a little bit. So it kind of just keeps kind of keeps going. Another Star Wars influence there, I think, with Hot Rod doing battle with some random sort of drone on the on the ship there, which I thought was kind of a neat, you know, little influence. I mean, that's clearly Star Wars. Mm. So uh, the Decepticons catch up. The Autobots are separated. The ship with Hot Rod and Cop and the Dinobots crashes on one planet. And then the ship with Daniel and Ultra Magnus and RC, the girl, Transformer, they crash on another. So we get the, you know, we kind of cut between the two different planets. So let's talk about the planet where Hot Rod and Cup land on with the Sharktacons. I, I just wanted to ask you if you, you know, what you thought of the art design and the animation as they're on this planet here, if it stood out for you or if it's kind of nothing. It's a mixed bag with the planet. I do like that art design and the concept of that one being with a rotating head. Seems like he has a different personalities, yeah. like the judge, jury, and executioner. So I liked the design of that character and I think his servant with the tentacles. Mm -hmm. um, that was cool. Sharktopuses or whatever they're called. Or Sharktacons, <laughs> you know, whatever. Sharktopus. <laughs> Sharktopus. Yeah. Next episode on the podcast for Antiquities. <laughs> Sharktopus. I'm ready. I'll um, do Sharktopus. Is there a Sharktopus? <laughs> I think so. Or is it Mega Shark versus Mega Octopus? 
mega, mega octo whale. I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Starring William Shatner. So. Oh, fuck yeah. If it's William Shatner's in it, we're doing it. Oh, don't worry. We'll eventually get to his entire filmography. So, <laughs> But the other parts of the planet here I didn't like with the fish and the squid when they were kind of underwater. I mean, I really don't know what the function this planet serves. It's just like, you know, there's just a bunch of robots here and kids are familiar with sharks and fishes and squids. So let's just make Transformers in that shape and just another danger. I really didn't like these scenes on the two planets. It just felt like it was filler. Mm. Like they couldn't come up with anything else or anything better to do. So it was just one action scene after another. Well, I wasn't a fan. It is totally filler here. I mean, you know, again, we kind of talked about it before where... It seems that all alien life is robot life for some bizarre reason. I, I thought it was intriguing, the design of the the robot, the judge with the five faces there. Yes, I yes. thought was, I mean, I really liked that. I thought that was really cool, but we don't get a chance to explore that at all. They do explore it on the show after the movie. Black Tide comes back? Yeah, the quintessens, they explore that mythology a little bit more after the movie and the show. Hmm. So... Uh, you know, great design, maybe a little under you. I mean, they're packing in cool things. It's almost like they had the artists go create something awesome, and they went and created something awesome, but they didn't have a story for it, but they threw it in the movie. Sell and on toys. the one hand, yeah, so yeah, they sell the toys. I guess that was their objective. So got Hot Rod and Cup on that on that planet, and we've got the junk planet with Ultra Magnus. So the, the Decepticons track them down on the junk planet. And we have another little battle here where Galvatron faces down Ultra Magnus, and Ultra Magnus tries to utilize the Matrix. And but... he was a bitch. He couldn't even do anything. Yeah, he goes down like a bitch, can't do anything. This is not my locker. It's like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> I kind of like this scene because there's sort of a, like a Sword in the Stone, Knights of the Round Table thing going on here. Like, Ultra Magnus is a pretender to the throne. He's not the true leader, right? I mean, even Optimus Prime, like when it when they pass the Matrix to Ultra Magnus is like, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And Optimus is like, he kind of knew it. And he's like, one day somebody will come forward and, you know, he'll be the one that you'll follow. Uh, but until then, like, you know, here you go, right? So Ultra Magnus, he want, like in good faith, he tries to use it, but he's not the one, so he can't. And I like that he doesn't know that he's a pretender to the throne, but he still tries. Like that, I thought that was a, an interesting layer, and it gets him totally blown apart into a million pieces. So I thought that was a really neat scene in Galvatron. Just destroys him, takes the Matrix of leadership for himself. I don't know. Did you? I don't know if you had any thoughts about about that confrontation between the two. No, it was a good confrontation, albeit a bit quick. But yeah, I mean, for kids, then now, oh, okay, well, m- the new hero now dies. What the hell's going on? I mean, can't the good guys buy a break? You know, if the kids are bawling their eyes out before, you know, they're doing it here now too. I would assume it's just like uh, if I'm a parent, I'd be concerned. I- I'd probably walk out. Yeah. A lot of violence for comparing from the TV show to this. It's a massive jump. Too much death. But I did love the fact that Galvatron then starts saying, well, all right, I got the Matrix, uh, Unicron, you're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm coming after you. I'm in charge. Uh, Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, according to, as I said, I watched the commentary. They did design the film to not have a G rating. They were targeting a PG rating, so they did sort of intentionally make it more violent. Some of the curse words and so forth. Yeah, wasn't there a shit? To... There was a shit in here. Yeah, Spike, there? when they try to detonate Moonbase 2 and Spike is like, oh shit! Uh, that's right, that was in the original version. So 
They did that so that they wouldn't get a G rating. They wanted PG and not G because they thought that that would help it appeal greater to like this isn't just a family movie. Like this is a real film. They wanted to legitimize it. That's more. awesome. That's ballsy, and I love yeah. that idea. It's just that you know you could have done it with in a different way. I don't know. I just feel there's something missing in this movie. We can talk about that when we get to the end there. I mean, I do agree that there are some things missing there. But the kids are about to get some awesomeness here. You're wondering what was there for the kids. Well, here's what's there for the kids. So Hot Rod and Cup escape the shark to cons. So we get a win for the good guys finally. I like that scene. I don't remember if it was Hot Rod or Cup. He just punches that guy in the face and all of his teeth come shattering out of his mouth with some 80s metal playing in the background. And doesn't Grimlock and the dinosaurs come in and help them yep. out? Yeah, yeah the Dinobots awesome. come yeah. in, yeah. So the gang's kind of getting back together. I love start... the fact that Grimlock says, execute them. Grimlock yeah. say, execute them. I yeah. love it. It's like, yes. <laughs> like every line he's got is like, Grimlock say, and then whatever, right? Yeah, this is awesome. I love Grimlock. Yeah, he's so good. He's such a fucking doofus, but just as an aside, so we'll take, a, we'll take an aside here. When I was about six... So before this movie came out, I had a Grimlock costume for Halloween that my, <laughs> that my dad built out of all of the cardboard boxes. So I was walking around like arms at 90 degree angles, like just cardboard boxes, just basically taped to my body with tin foil and gold wrapping paper and shit as Grimlock. It was fucking rad. Let me tell you, you'll never see it before or since. And uh, it was awesome. Yeah, Grimlock rules. You know what my parents made me dress up as? For myself. I want to hear. Myself. Hear this. Myself. I had to go as myself. So, <laughs> so you <laughs> which wore is like scary. a coat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. But as scary as that is, I had to come up with, you know, familiar ways. So it's like funny how we play hockey, ice hockey, my sock keeps falling, right? I don't put tape on it. But this actually, you know, goes back to my childhood because I had to actually dress myself up as a hockey player. So I put on all my stinky gear. Nice. And I walked out, but I had no hockey tape, so my socks kept falling down. Because I was, <laughs> I was walking around doing trick-or-treating, right? And I was so wearing... basically you're saying, you're not you, you're dressing up as you when you yes. play hockey, you're saying, yeah. Hey man, anything <laughs> to fool anybody, it works. Who's that asshole? I don't know. Some douchebag wearing his hockey gear. Go with zombie you, at least, man. Like, come on. That's next year. That would be a good costume, actually. Zombie you. I would respect that costume. Probably look almost exactly like you do now, because let's face it, you don't look great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's all good. You look fine. <laughs> what movie are we talking about? Transformers. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> all right. So more treats for the kids. So back to the junk planet. And now we get introduced to the Junkicons, a race of basically motorcycle robots. From Australia. Yeah, from Australia who kind of look like they're also samurai and speak in TV jingles. I kind of like this. What did you think of the battle here? Uh, The only thing I liked is Dare to be Stupid. Dare to be Stupid. Are we talking about Dare to be Stupid right now? Go for it. Dare to be Stupid. We've talked about Weird Al Yankovic on our very first episode. One of his, we'll say, original songs, not a direct parody of another song, Dare to be Stupid, is a, I believe the correct form, or the correct word is a pastiche, which is a, a sort of combination parody of other bands here. So, But still an original song by Weird Al. What are your thoughts on Dare to be Stupid? Love it? Hate it? I love Dare to be Stupid. I don't remember it from this movie. I listened to the albums when I was young at my cousin's house, and he got me into it, as I had mentioned mm. before. 
So the minute the song came on, before I even heard Weird Al's voice, because you don't even hear Weird Al until the end. I noted it down here until the end of this little battle. Then he started hearing Weird Al sing for about 10 seconds. But it's before, it's just dare to be stupid, dare to be stupid, and you have the music, and it just keeps saying dare to be stupid. It's like a dumb, repetitious loop. I love the use of it here. But when I first heard it, I said, oh, I know this song. What is it? Mm. And after a second, I got it, and it's like, oh, my God. You know, so that was awesome. The battle was kind of dumb, and it kind of, I was chuckling at the end, saying they became friends, and they were dancing in a circle, holding hands. Like, it's it's the end of the Battle of Endor. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so it was a little cheesy, but it's okay. It's a kid's cartoon. But the battle itself is kind of a, a lot to be desired for. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I like the battle. It had a sort of a chariot gladiatorial feeling to me, which I thought was a neat take on it. There weren't stakes to the battle, though, because we didn't know who these bad guys were. So I never really felt any real threat here. But the song, I mean, I love Dare to be Stupid. I do believe this was the debut of this song. It was on a Weird Al album, which was released after this film came out, but the same year. So summer 1986, this uh, the Weird Al album came out with the song on it. But I do believe it did debut in this film. So, uh, you know, sort of, a, a, yeah, it's notable for Weird Al. It's the one and only time I believe that did happen. I really like this song. I don't think I ever, you know, I always just took it as comedy, just as a goofy Weird Al song. And when I listened to it again for this movie, and I listened to it a few times and I, I looked up the lyrics to read. I mean, the, you know, the, it's pretty easy to understand. But I don't know if you would agree with me if there's anything more going on with the song other than it just being goofy. But it really feels to me that the song sort of speaks to doing what's unconventional, being different, like dare to be stupid. Every line is sort of a counter to a cliche, like count your chickens before they hatch, put your eggs all in one basket, and lines like that where it's like, don't be the normal, like do something different, dare to be stupid, dare to be different would be kind of the different, would sort of be another interpretation of the lines. Maybe I'm reading too much into the song, but that's kind of what I got out of it. I mean, Weird Al is a smart guy. And his songs are very, very well written. And in context of this movie, you know, where, you know, our heroes are kind of forced to be not what they've been before in order to win. I don't know. Maybe it's too much, but that's kind of what I pulled from that. Anything more from you from the song or is it just sort of Weird Al zaniness? Well, you know, I don't really know unless you know for a fact that Weird Al watched this movie. Doesn't matter. No, no. So, but I think it does matter because if he saw this and then he had to write the song for this sequence, then I'd say there's some hidden brilliance behind it. And it's not that Weird Al didn't have any hidden brilliance in his song. He's probably thinking about some of those thematic points that you brought up. But in relation to this movie, it just feels slapped in here. Like something goofy, silly. I don't know if it means a lot. I could see how you're kind of stretching it to say, oh, well... Dare to be stupid means kind of like stretching the norm, going outside the lines, and then, you know, these guys seem like your enemies, and then you could become friends with them. Ha ha ha, let's dance around in a circle, <laughs> holding hands, you know? If that's what you mean by it, and if that was Weird Al's intention because he saw this and or got a description of the scene and then wrote it for the scene this way, then it's brilliant. If it's just Weird Al wrote a song, they said make a goofy song, and he did that, and they put it here, I think it's just coincidence. So it's I kind of it's, a mixed bag. I mean, I think as a greater, just past this scene, I think it's a, a greater representation of the whole, like, like yeah, like, you know, to be friends with these people who aren't our friends, sort of, you know, be different. But I think it's larger than just this scene. 
I'm probably reading more into it, but yeah, fuck it. We're breaking down a 1986 cartoon movie about toys that transform from robots into cars, so I'm okay to read a little extra into it. But anyways, the Junkicons Repair Ultra Magnus with some spit shine. Pretty sweet little tube of uh, armor all they've got there. And it's off to the final battle. So Galvatron confronts Unicron with the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. He's wearing it as a chain around his neck. But Unicron's not having any of that. So he swallows Galvatron and transforms into the robot form of the planet-eating planet. So as is Transformers custom, we have two forms for our robots. I'm going to stop here and bring up an interesting piece of trivia. So we've talked a lot about them selling, you know, you sell toys and the Transformers are what they are. You've got a car that transforms into a robot or a jet that transforms into a robot or transforms into a jukebox or whatever, right? So the Unicron toy, they did originally develop a toy for Unicron that transformed from the planet into the robot, but they could never make it work. And they first debuted the toy in 1996, so 10 years after this. But the toy was a piece of garbage, and they never released it for sale. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the first toy of the movie version of Unicron was not released until 2011 in order the 25th anniversary. Yeah. That was when the toy for this Unicron came out. They had a couple of different versions in the 2000s, like 2005, 2008, that were, you know, like they had Unicron as a character on later versions of the TV show that were kind of different. But the this version of Unicron did not come out until 2011, wow, 25 that's... years later. I guess those toy makers should have been listening to repeats or on loop, dare to be stupid, you know, think outside the lines. Exactly. Jesus Christ. How hard is it to figure this thing out? Well, I mean, it's interesting because usually they would design the toy and then put it in the cartoon, right? Like, okay, we've got Optimus Prime, we've got Hot Rod, we've got the Jukebox dude, like all these guys, like they kind of designed the toy first and then put it in the cartoon. For this, they designed the cartoon character first and then had to try to build the robot, the toy, after the fact. And it was such an intricately designed character, like, especially when it transforms into the robot. And I love that scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. when he Where he finally transforms. Yeah, but I thought it was very cool, all the detail there. That was great. But yeah, they were just never able to really figure that out for the toy. So anyway, so just as the Decepticons are swallowed, then we uh, the Autobots arrive on the scene and try to fight Unicron, who's the full robot now. I And I love that shot of Unicron standing in his robot form, standing on Cybertron. I don't know if you had any thoughts about how the robot looked there. Just He looked impressive. I mean, you know, big. I wouldn't say scary, but menacing. Mm-hmm. Definitely a threat. I like the design. He was good. I like, I think, I don't know who shoots through his eye. It could be Hot Rod. Yeah, they crashed their ship through his eye. I like that scene. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. What is the motivation for Unicron? What is this character? He's hungry. He's just hungry. He's just one hungry SOB. He doesn't go into hibernation like a bear? Like, what what the fuck's going on here? I I mean, I don't know. He's got light years to travel between planets, so he probably hibernates between light speed jumps. Yeah, there's no explanation for Unicron in the movie. I think they delve a little bit more into his backstory on the TV show afterward, I think. I don't remember too much of the show after this movie. 
Well, maybe this um, is why these toy makers had such an issue with him making him, because like he's got this fucking ocean on the inside of his body. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, when I was listening to the commentary and the director was talking about, you know, how they designed inside and it was you know part of it was he was so massive that there would sort of be these mini ecologies going on inside of him and also that they wanted to kind of try to make him a living being and living beings are mostly water and that was his explanation whatever i guess (laughs) he's like ah water water we need something to chase our heroes inside so yeah. Water. Yeah, exactly. So we get the sequences inside Unicron. Daniel's in his exosuit and comes across his father there, sort of in the Attack of the Clones production line or whatever, where they're going to fall in a vat of acid. Yeah. He saves this him. This is a scary flashback here. Yeah, I know. I preferred this version, uh, to be honest, to the Attack of the Clones version. So do I. Yeah. Then we get to Hot Rod. Oh, he's on his own. He's in the depths. He sees the Autobot Matrix of Leadership glowing in the shadows. He approaches it and encounters Galvatron. And basically the final battle ensues. And Galvatron, you know says he's going to crush him in the same way that he crushed Ultra Magnus and Optimus Prime. They fight for a bit and then cue the music. This is the same music. Yeah. That this um, is the Optimus same music. Prime, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we get a callback to Miss Prime's rock power ballad and Hot Rod is transformed into Rodimus Prime, defeats Galvatron, he gets blasted into space, opens the Matrix, and then destroys as the Matrix destroys Unicron, and that's kind of the end. So what are your thoughts just of the conclusion? So the final battle between Hot Rod, Rodimus Prime, and Galvatron and the destruction of Unicron, how did you find the conclusion sort of wraps up story here? It's obvious the Matrix, you know, you the, the thing is I kind of wish it just did something else. I don't mind the Matrix actually destroying Unicron because obviously that was the whole point of the whole movie and why Unicron was afraid of it to begin with, Galvatron to go after it. I just wish it was just, oh, do something instead of Hot Rod holding it and then he suddenly morphs into this Optimus Prime wannabe. He grew like several inches taller and bigger and got new parts and it's like, okay, that's fine. Let's do the magic. But then defeating Unicron was kind of, eh, he's just holding it and it's like by the power of Grayskull. Yeah, yeah, it was. I don't know. Mixed feelings, but it feels like it's appropriate for kids cartoon. For kids, you need a very simple explanation. You don't want to add science and complication and more machinery to it. It's just, here's the Matrix. Hot Rod's now the new Optimus Prime holding it, and the Energy Blast will defeat the villains. So there you go. Yeah. So, seems appropriate and simple enough, even though I think it's too simple for my taste, but we're watching a kid's cartoon, so it is appropriate. Battle with Galvatron is okay. I thought it was a bit too quick. Kind of wish it was a little bit more there, but what was there was fine. Yeah, and then he became this weirdo Rodimus Prime. I, I love the, the voice of Optimus Prime, you know, in Obi-Wan ghost form, saying something. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know if I like the look of this guy, but whatever. And then he transforms into flames on Optimus, right? So he's got, like, the same tractor-trailer guy. And uh, Yeah, he gains a tractor-trailer for some reason. With flames on the side now. Well, he already had flames, though. Yeah. I mean, that was that was his design before he had flames on the side. He had flames? Okay. Hot Rod had flames. Oh, yeah, right? Hot Rod had flames. Yeah. Optimus Prime, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that was okay, but... And then, like, the end of the movie, so they're on Cybertron, and they're saying yeah. now that 
there's going to be peace for, you know, eons or something. And I think I missed the part where they found peace with the Decepticons because it seemed like just like the Autobots were surrounding them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's no treaty or yeah. bridge to the Decepticons. It was just like, okay, well, we beat the Decepticons. So now there's a new age of peace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. So bit of a rushed ending, but I felt that it almost uh, our... In 50 minutes or whatever, however long this movie was, it was long enough. I think they could have trimmed some of those middle action scenes down to a bit more character moments and then expanded this third act would have been, Unicron could have been a bit mm, better. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, there was a bit of a rushed conclusion and I think that was pretty emblematic of the whole film. Like you don't really get a chance to stop to catch your breath. The whole movie is like action sequence followed by action sequence followed by action sequence. So if we're allowed to catch our breath, maybe we could have had a, a more nuanced ending. But, you know, like we say, right, as a kid's cartoon, you got robots shooting each other. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to build in any more nuance than they already had. So, well, let's, uh, let's just talk about the film overall. You know, one question I've got for you, so does this feel like just sort of a shameless cash-in to you, like just selling toys, or is it a little bit more than that? Hard for me to say. feels, you know, like they're taking chances because, you know, you're telling me that they wanted to push for that PG rating instead of a G. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with killing off all the characters, all of this stuff is ballsy. You know, it feels like a more mature cartoon. For, and in the 80s, I think in the late 70s and 80s, you started to see some more, you know, of more mature cartoons coming to fruition. Um, yeah. To me, to be honest, it feels more of a cash grab than anything else, and and that's I feel is unfortunate. Uh, that's yeah. just me. Even though I think that you know, I think if they went more mature, ballsy themes, like they could have killed some of the characters, but not all the characters, and you're still dealing with the major characters. I think you could have had an amazing movie here. Yeah. Like top notch all the way through. Right now, it just feels like more of a mixed bag because of that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because. The whole concept of the Transformers, it's like invented as a cash grab. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's hard to break out of that. I mean, that's where it came from originally, right? We talked a little bit about the voice work. I'm surprised, you know, surprised to hear that you weren't a fan of Nimoy. But let's exclude Leonard Nimoy. I mean, what did you think of the voice work overall? Yeah, Orson Welles did a great job. I thought he was one of the highlights of the movie for me, along with the old voice cast. Man, losing Megatron, Frank Welker's voice as your bad main bad guy. Oh my god, replacing it with Nimoy. I felt it was such a such a step down that I felt completely impacted my enjoyment mm. of the movie. And it's not just because Megatron's such a iconic voice and Nimoy is such a terrible voice. It's not that Nimoy was terrible. It's just that I felt like he didn't really have it's not that Frank Welker has a lot of range. I just feel he's able to, you know, reflect that anger, frustration, desperation, and humor in his character of Megatron better than Nimoy did as Galvatron. And I felt that that was a definite negative impact of the Mm. movie for me. Then losing Starscream, you lose that one-two punch. Galvatron had no relationships except that Unicron, and it was just, there was no, you know, I know there was still, you know, dominance versus, you know, subordinate there, like the master versus the slave relationship with Unicron and Galvatron, but it it was a different level. There was no equal footing, so to speak. The Starstream can sometimes have his equal footing with Megatron. Mm-hmm. You don't have that mm-hmm. here. I like Orson Welles. He did a good job. I hated Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. He didn't really bring anything to the table. 
all these new characters, their voice talents were adequate, I would say, competent, but nothing special. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm not really gaining a lot when you take so much away, you know? I mean, I can see what what you're saying there. I, I mean, I think I disagree because of the weight that Nimoy and Orson Welles bring to the table. I mean, you're absolutely right. We lose... Frank Welker as Megatron, I mean, he did such a great job. And the relationship with Starscream, I mean, that relationship is obliterated and replaced uh, Unicron and Galvatron. But I loved, it felt like such, the tables are turned on Megatron there, where he was used to being the superior and dealing with the subordinate who just was a bitch and wouldn't shut the fuck up and that those tables were turned on him. I liked how they flipped the relationship and thought they did such an awesome job with the voices. I thought we gained, I know we lost something, but I thought we gained something awesome there. I mean, that was me. I mean, we lost a lot. I mean, a lot of the original voice actors were shuffled off to the side in order to make way for the new characters. I thought Judd Nelson did a fine job for Hot Rod, but he didn't do anything great there serviceable. And Robert Stack, too. He was just kind of... Yeah, he was just sort of Magnus, thrown in. He was just kind of thrown in and there. And it's not that yeah. Robert Stack has a bad voice. He's playing and in the same range and emotion, and this is the kind of character that he is in the way they the writers developed him, is he just feels like he's reading a script of Unsolved Mystery. Yeah, well, it's almost like, because he has such a good voice that yeah. it felt like he was underutilized. Yeah. I mean, maybe... I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't really... I come from a different school of thought, perhaps. I don't really care what their intentions were. I don't care what Weird Al's intentions were. I only care what ends up on the screen, and I want to interpret it from there. It feels to me, you know, you've got Robert Stack as such a good voice. Like, you almost... Like, you almost expect, and he gets the matrix of leadership at first, you almost expect him with that voice to be the new Autobot leader, and they subvert that by using a more youthful, full-sounding voice, a lighter-sounding voice as Hot Rod, because you don't expect it. You you know, Ultra Magnus seems to be the natural successor when they use the deep voice to help perpetuate that, but then they go and undercut it later. I, I, I mean, I like that again. I don't know if that's what they were thinking, but that's what happens on screen. So that's what I choose to interpret. Anyway, let's talk about the soundtrack a little bit. So we've got the 80s power ballads in full force. We've got the Weird Al song there. We also have a lot of the synth tracks that don't have any vocals. You know, we talked a bit about on our last episode with Tango and Cash, some of the synth tracks that go on there. How did the soundtrack work for you? I liked it. I thought the, it, you know, it was not a so different except for the 80s vocals. It, it felt right at home with the show from what I remember. And it's very 80s. It's part of the time, the synth, the metal, heavy metal instruments. And then the soundtrack was a bit cheesy for me. But mm. again, sign of the times, if you're going to watch any 80s action movie, whether it's animated or live action, you're going to get some of that stuff, you know, peppered through the films. Just have, you know, take the good with the bad. There is a cheesy factor there that's very nostalgic, so I kind of liked it. Problem is it felt repetitive Mm. and overused too much. I think that was a negative impact. Aside from that, I thought it was very appropriate. I liked it. I think you're right that there is a certain level of repetitiveness to the vocal tracks. I can't distinguish... Other than sort of the, uh, if you want to call like the hero theme, the Optimus Prime, Rodimus Prime theme that happens when they battle Megatron and Galvatron, that's the most distinctive vocal track outside of Dare to be Stupid. All of the other vocal tracks kind of meld together. 
I love the theme that plays when Unicron is on screen and when he first comes along. I find it super ominous. You know, there's no lyrics. It's just the synthesizer there. To be honest, I mean, I really love the soundtrack. It is all kind of surface. Like there's nothing, there's nothing going on underneath the underneath the surface there to, to really dive into. But it feels appropriate. And I like, I don't know. I mean, we watch movies now and most of the time it's all instrumental, which is great if you have a great composer, but it feels very generic. I like these older soundtracks that have songs on them. I don't know if you have a thought about that. That's a hit and miss bag for me. I'm more on the instrumental orchestral soundtrack is my preference. I've just seen too many 80s movies with just (laughs) terrible, terrible 80s songs. Yeah. And it's just, I had enough, (laughs) honestly, during the 80s with that. And I really don't want to go back. But for a cartoon here in the 80s, a very low budget cartoon to have a mix of both. It is a decent soundtrack. As I mentioned, I think the only negative aspect to it is it just repeats the same damn songs over and over again. It didn't feel like there were different songs. The only song that's repeated is the hero theme song, like the, mm-hmm. you know, the, I think it's called The Touch. But that's, that's the problem. only one that's repeated. Everything yeah. else is different. But you're right. They feel the in same. In that they're not distinctive. They, they're not distinctive yeah, then. That they means feel they're the same. all the same song, essentially. And yeah. That's what it felt well, like. like. It didn't yeah. feel like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I agree in the sense that they feel the same. I mean, I've done a lot of listening to music from a decade by decade And it's funny now with perspective, like 90s music sounds the same as 90s music and 80s music sounds the same as 80s music and 70s music sounds like 70s music. There are distinctive pieces within those sections of time, but they still sound like each other, like they're from the same era and can be hard to distinguish. And I think that's part of what... I agree and disagree with that. I agree when you say they kind of sound the same. I think here, each song and lyrics sound more identical than, say, other 80s action movies. Like, I could put... A good example would be, you know, some of those Sylvester Stallone 80s action movies or Chuck Norris action movies where they had a mixture of orchestral along with song. Yeah. But the songs in those movies were radically different. They were still 80s and they had 80s instruments playing them, but the lyrics were different. Tone was different. They kind of had a different emotion coming from them related to the movie. And I think part of the problem here is in this movie, one of the problems is that everything is on a high because it's action, 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 action. There's no breather. Even though there's some bad things happening, like high, intense, emotional, dark things happening, I don't get a dark song or a dark emotion to the music. I still getting high-end tempo 80s metal action music or action songs, Mm -hmm. and it didn't feel different. And I think it did that. No, I think that's a good point that you raised there. When they had a song, you're right. They were always, the songs always accompanied an action scene, so they were always a high-energy, optimistic feel to the lyrical pieces of the soundtrack and the only time you had variation was in the synth parts which were sort of the down pieces yeah so uh, that's a good point i mean i didn't really consider that before but i think you're right you know that's a good point so maybe it's time to move into the final thoughts here any final thoughts before we give our final recommendations on the film here 
No, I was, want to bring out? it was great to go back and revisit the Transformers. Part of me wants to now see, go watch some old episodes because, you know, watching these old characters again brought back a lot of nostalgic feels and, and I liked it. There are a lot of good things to this movie, but, you know, I feel in the end it's a bit of a mixed bag. But for a kid's cartoon, I feel that they did a lot of things here. Even though it was an obvious cash grab, there were some things here that were risky and ballsy and as a mature adult now looking at it and i like that they took some risks and yeah for that i think that's a bonus and a plus to this movie i mean i agree it is obviously a cash grab but it feels like they did as much as they could within the confines of the cash grab you know i respect that from the you know right from hasbro down to the guys who made the movie they tried to squeeze as much as they could out of the cash grab Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I remember watching it and having the experience as a kid where I was just, you know, totally devastated and then watching it as an adult where I can, you know, don't care so much that they killed off a character that I knew they brought back later. So, you know, perspective has an interesting or age, perhaps age and distance has sort of a tempering effect on that. But, you know, for me, when I look at it, I like hand-drawn animation, which they really don't do anymore. You know, there's no assistance from computers or anything. Everything's hand-drawn. There's lots of different techniques for making certain things appear to glow or be bright lights. And all of those little details I like to appreciate. I thought they did a great job with just animating the film, putting the detail in. And I mean, it's more of a space opera than sci-fi, but kind of, but creating the space opera feel to the film certainly has its problems, but has some worth. And I feel the same way as you. I kind of want to go back and watch some episodes now just to get some perspective on the film. So, well, let's get, let's get to our recommendations. What's your recommendation level here, Harry? And is this a rare antiquity? Mixed bag on the recommendation. I would probably, I have to look at it from critical standpoint to be fair to all the other movies we have also reviewed. I think replacing the old voice talent with these new characters was a negative impact for this movie. It was an insult to the voice actors that came before. And it'd be one thing if you're replacing them with better voice talent for this movie. And like, I think Orson Welles is the standout performance for the new talent. He did a fine job. I think the other two, Nimoy and Stack and Judd Nelson and so on and so on, whoever else was a newcomer to this movie, they didn't do as good of a job or what they needed to do to hook entice me and make me forget about the old voice talent so that was a fail the music while appropriate and very 80s was too repetitive for me but i like still like what they had there the addition of weird al's dare to be stupid was great even though i'm not sure how you know relatable it was to the scene the third act was way too short and I think a pacing problem here with just too much action, 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 action. I think the strength is in the first act and the second act is very weak and the third act is a mixed bag. So overall, but because it's a kid's cartoon, I can't be too harsh on it. It is just a simple kid's cartoon. So it is effective in that respect, but it was ballsy, as we talked about. They took risks here by killing off all the favorites. So, But the intention was for a cash grab, so... I want to praise it, but it's like, well, you know, it's like evil is behind the whole thing. It's all about money. And Hollywood is about money. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making movies to begin with. So I would say it's about a low to mid-range 
recommendation for me. I think Transformers fans should watch it, even though their hearts may get broken because their favorites may get tossed to the side. I'm still weeping for Starscream myself. But yeah, low end to middle of the road, low middle recommendation. But it is a rare antiquity because they did decide to take heavy risks with this movie for a kid's movie to have all your major heroes and just be taken away just like that and leaving kids, even this new hero, Ultra Magnus, come in and he gets blown away halfway through the movie, even though he comes back in the end and some of the old heroes you think that are dead they're actually alive but still just that traumatic you know knowing what kind of impact it could have with kids and they still went through it and then as you mentioned they forced that pg rating i think it's a rare antiquity Mm. i appreciate your insights there man i kind of agree on the level of i'm going to give it a sort of a a moderate recommendation uh you know i think you're absolutely right i think the second act struggles a bit it just goes to action you know from action to action to action to action we don't get a chance to slow down and hang out with the characters for a bit. I will disagree with you on the voice acting. I absolutely love the voice acting in this. Uh, Orson Welles as Unicron was so excellent. I think Unicron, I think Orson Welles as Unicron is worth a price of admission. I was surprised at your reaction to Leonard Nimoy. I thought he was so good as Galvatron. Although I do understand, you know, your reservations there because the original voice actors are so excellent and and i'm certainly not going to argue with you there quality of the animation i think needs to be seen that you know hand-drawn animation they just they simply don't do it anymore the level of detail that's on display here is so good i think that just needs to be seen to to be believed there but it is still effectively a kid's cartoon and there's not a whole lot going on under the surface which is why i kind of temper my recommendation down to sort of a moderate tough if you're not a child of the 80s and a fan of the transformers i mean if you watch but that being said, if you can stomach any one of the, well, what will soon be five Michael Bay Transformers movies, and I'm assuming a lot of you can stomach that because he's, you know, they've all made $300 billion for some reason. This is easily better than all of them put together. So yeah, so watch this. Is this a rare antiquity? Yeah, I think absolutely it is. The quality of the animation, which we don't get anymore. The risks that they take, as you mentioned, Harry, because they don't take risks in movies at all, let alone kids' movies. Kids' movies don't take risks at all. And they definitely went out on a limb. Part of it was because they had to accommodate the cash grab, but so be it. I mean, they could have played this safe and they didn't. So um, They could have just poochied Optimus Prime. I have to yeah. go now. I have to go now. <laughs> well, yeah, they totally could have. <laughs> <laughs> Gone. I love the soundtrack as goofy 80s surface pop as it is. I love it. I bought the soundtrack for 10 bucks and listened to it as I wrote my synopsis for it. And I was smiling and head bombing the whole time. I thought it was great. The songs are definitely goofy, but I think the real gems in the soundtrack are just the instrumentals. The synthesizer tracks, I think, are unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm going to say Rare Antiquity. So, yeah, there we go. There's uh, Transformers, the movie. We'll wrap it up now. Anything else you want to chime in before we get on to what's up next? No, no, no. It was a good conversation today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was fun. So, next time, Harry, it is another little milestone for us, episode number 30. And as is our tradition for our milestone episodes, we do a, a little something special. So, we're going to go back to the 80s. 
and check out the Back to the Future trilogy. Do a little time travel. So it should be a lot of fun and, you know, a little more mainstream than our norm, but I think it deserves an in-depth discussion. Yes, no, looking forward to it. Haven't seen those quite some time, so it should be fun to go revisit that and have a nice discussion. Yeah, it's been a while for me too, so I'm really looking forward to watching those again and hashing them out. So that's episode 29, Transformers, the animated film from 1986. Harry, thanks for doing the show, man. It was a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Cheers. All right. Wait, I still function. Wanna bet? Stop!